and it is the fruit of our conversion that we enjoy this wonderful fellowship with the Lord Jesus. And the mark of our conversion is that we actually enjoy being changed into the Lord's image. How do we monitor that? By getting victory over sin, by saying no to those things that once were big and great hindrances. We now can say no to the way of sin. So God is good. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Gollaher, and again, we're coming to God's training of His children. And we have an excerpt at the end on biblical marriage. I never thought I would see the times when we'd have to define and get back to basics on establishing God's model for marriage. But here we are, and today at the close of the program, we'll take a look at the model marriage, which God has ordained. Some people are asking, you know, who, who am I? What makes me minister the Word of God here on radio uh, day by day? Well, I was born in Northern Ireland. I was converted at age 18. I went to the Whitfield College of the Bible four years before being ordained at the age of 25. Three years later, the Lord led me here to British Columbia, right to Surrey, uh, to Cloverdale, where our church is now located, and I've been preaching God's Word here for 33 years. The Lord has opened up some avenues of radio ministry across our country, and so it is a great joy to bring God's Word on each of our stations, and I trust that you have been encouraged and blessed. It is my heart's desire that God will take his word and write it on hearts to give faith to his people, conviction of sin to the wicked, and bring sinners to the cross. All oh, that men might learn God's remedy, his balm of Gilead, his healing powers to those who will come as sinners to the cross. And so I pray that today that God will bless his word encourage your heart as, again, we speak on the Lord training his people. Yesterday, I used the illustration, if you join the army, you know you've got a lot of training to do. They're going to whip you into shape. They're going to make a soldier out of you. And so the Lord, when he saves us, well, he's got to take the world out of us and make us to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ. Stay tuned as we turn now to the Bible, to the message of God's Word from the pulpit of our church here in Cloverdale, and as we let the Bible speak on God's good training. Now, there is preparation for training, and God is good because before he puts us into the rigors of training, he gives us promises of victory. And of course, that promise is looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And in the Christian life, with all the demands that it brings, 
and all the self-discipline that it involves, we are told here to look unto Jesus. Now, looking unto Jesus is not just a dead figure. He is the living Lord who resides in us. And looking to him is trusting for, for everything. It's depending on his spirit and power to enable us to live unto God and to die to sin. And God is good because he prepares us for the training. And he shows us his son and gives us that great model. And of course, our fellowship with Christ is so sweet. And it is the fruit of our conversion that we enjoy this wonderful fellowship with the Lord Jesus. And the mark of our conversion is that we actually enjoy being changed into the Lord's image. How do we monitor that? By getting victory over sin, by saying no to those things that once were big and great hindrances. We now can say no to the way of sin. So God is good in the way that he prepares us for this training, and he gives us grace to look to him. Now, God is working for your good also in the love that is behind the chastisement. That's verses 5 and 6. That's really the, the big statement that is made here. And ye have forgotten the exhortation. See how Christians forget? See how poor our memories are? See how quickly we get into a fog in the midst of the battle of life, and we lose sight of the very essential truth. Ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. Now, here's a quote from Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 311. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Why are we not to despise it? Who wants that? Who welcomes the spanking? Who welcomes the correction? Who wants to be in this training mode all the time? Why do we welcome it? Why do we say it's good for us? Verse 6 answers it. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And God is working for our good out of love. And it is because of his love that he puts us into training and he causes us to suffer hardship, some difficult, very difficult things, things that we would never choose. And yet God puts them in our path. Now, this love, I checked the word for loveth here, and it is that sacrificial love, that agape love, uh, by which God sent his Son to this world and to the cross. God so loved the world, and it is his sacrificial love. God takes the trouble to discipline 
and to train us out of his love. We all know as parents that it's easier just to ignore the bad behavior. It's easier just to give up, oh, that's the way that child is. I can do nothing with him or her. And so as parents, we get worn down and we just say, oh, so what? That's not love. That is to uh, opt out of our parental obligations. But God, as our heavenly Father, who loves us to the end, he will work for our good. And truly, his purpose is to perfect holiness in our hearts and in our lives. Now, we see this love at work in the prodigal father. When he stood each day waiting, searching, looking for his son in the distance, there was the love of a father. Now, he had a rebellious son, but he cared. And we know the story of his return and his reception, and that he was welcomed back into the family. We also see God sending Nathan the prophet to King David after his terrible sin of adultery with Bathsheba. And there was a day when Nathan stood before him and pointed the finger and said, Thou art the man. And it was out of, he was God's prophet. God sent him. And it was out of God's love for David that he brought him to repentance. But he needed that rebuke. He needed that messenger. And we know the tears of David. We know the confession of David. A loving father does not abandon his child in error or in rebellion. A loving father loves his child too much to give up. And if you are saved, if you are a child of God, you will get the training, you will get the chastisement for as long as you need it until you are brought back to reconciliation and into blessing. I read a very interesting account about the Reverend John Newton, yes, the hymn writer, and it seems that he had a very good talent of giving people words of rebuke. This is probably one of the most delicate things that a pastor has to do. You know, to phone someone up and tell them they're all wrong, uh, it's not easy, never easy, to try and tell someone they're wrong. And there is good advice. There's two things that you should watch about Christians. Number one, to tell them that their children have done wrong, or to tell them that they have sinned. Those are the two hardest things for people to hear about. My child? My little Johnny? He would never do a thing like that. Defense mode immediately. Immediately. Well, John Newton had this great skill of delivering words of rebuke. And he had someone in his congregation that was prospering mightily. And the spiritual life was suffering as a consequence. And in God's sovereignty, he gave them a child that became sick and very ill. 
And uh, Mr. Newton went to the home, and he said something like this, clasping his hands uh, of the man's wife, John Newton cried, God be thanked. He has not forsaken you. I do not wish your babe to suffer, but I am happy that he find that he gives you this token of his favor. Now, we don't think of sick children as God's love, God's gift. There are many that would get on their knees and get angry with God. A bit like Job's wife, curse God and die. And when that pain and sorrow comes into the family, when the Christian gets on his knees, he's going to do one of two things. He's going to humble himself, or he's going to rise up in defiance. And God tells us that the chastisement, the training, the hard things are for our good in the long term. The story reminds me of what happened when King David's child died. And again, that babe was due to King David's sin. It became sick and died. That was not the mark that God did not love David. We know that story so well. That was the mark of God restoring David and leading him back in a path of blessing. His heavenly Father dealt with him for his good. And the Lord has to teach us this, because this doctrine of God's chastisement is so contrary to our carnal thinking that it is vital that we lay hold on this, even before we are in trouble, so that when that rod of correction is laid upon us in so many possible ways, that we can recognize God's goodness in it and not rise up in rebellion against him. How it changes our perspective as Christians, and in the Lord's work as well, you know, we could rise up and say, well, why is God not filling every seat in the church? Why are we not one of the biggest churches around? Why do we have this small ministry? Well, why is things not looking up? Smallness does not mean God has abandoned us. Numbers tell you nothing. You could be in God's great favor with vast numbers. You could also have been abandoned by God with great numbers. The valuable thing is that he's still speaking to us and dealing with us as a loving Heavenly Father. And if you can say yes to that tonight, then you're in blessing. God is working for our good in the love behind the chastisement. Verses 7 to 9, you will see that God is working for your good in giving you the proof of sonship. 
Let's read the verses. Verse 7, If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye illegitimate and not sons. I'll just use that word. You are not a son of God if you are not enduring in some way the correction, the training that God gives to every one of his children. Sonship is privilege, and privilege brings responsibility. It also means full training. And if you're enduring chastening, if you know that God has stopped you, closed doors upon you, and brought you to your senses, then God is dealing with you not only in general love, but he's dealing with you as his child, as his son. Do you want proof of your sonship? Then discover that you will not be allowed to live as you please. You will not be allowed to go the way of the world and enjoy it nor prosper. God will stop it. You're his child. You're his son. Now, I want to be very careful and very balanced here tonight because there's a danger that we could fall into, and that is that everything that happens to the Christian is the result of sin. That is not true. God will chastise us and train us even when we're walking in obedience. My proof for that, Job. The man who eschewed evil, who turned away from every walk of wickedness, had a wonderful testimony. Uh, there was even the word perfect used in the Hebrew. Translated in the English, it doesn't mean that he was totally sinless, but it means there was nothing you could point at in Job's life. And yet God made Job to be an experiment of God's power versus the devil, God's control versus the powers of the evil underworld. So there's an example of a man who walked right but suffered much as he lost his children, his servants, his animals, his tents, and whatever else he lost right to the dust in ill health. God allowed all of that. And what was he doing with Job? He was in training. And I think it's well put that God's program with Job, it's the story of God making a good man better. God making a good man better. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher. What is biblical marriage? I never thought I would live in times when we would have to answer such an ABC question on marriage. Society is pushing agendas that force us to go back to basics and look again at the foundations for biblical marriage. I won't digress into the humanistic ideas 
that are based on evolutionary thinking. There can be no model at all for human relations if we are the product of chance over vast periods of time. Such a view leads to marshy ground of life spawning and life endlessly developing into something we don't know what. The one thing we need to observe is that across all species, male and female unions have been the only means of reproduction. Any departure from that clear dichotomy of male and female has caused species or subgroups to die out. Our understanding of biblical marriage must go back to God's creative work when he made man male and female. That is a clear statement on the Genesis record, and it is a fact known through the populations of the world. Mankind exists, lives, and procreates as male and female. This is an historic fact, and it's a biological fact. Any divergence from this basic position either neglects the facts or fights against them. One of the marvels of human civilization is the almost perfect balance in the number of births of boys and girls. Some families may be blessed with all boys, and some families may be blessed with all girls. Not all families are blessed with two and two, one and one, or five and five. However, in any population around the world, there is the constant balance of male and female. The only interruption to this has been human intervention through family planning with favoritism for the birth of boys, meaning the abortion of girls. This creates an imbalance, but it is one that is accountable through human interference and rebellion to the plan of God. This cohabitation of man and woman to produce children has been a vastly important issue in all societies. The only consistent model of marriage has been a contract between one man and one woman. This was God's providential work in creating Adam and then creating Eve as his wife and helpmeet. God didn't make Adam a polygamist by giving him more wives than one. In God's work of creating the first parents, Adam was created first, and woman was given as a helpmeet to him. Their difference in biological makeup were dramatic and obvious. Adam could not produce offspring alone. He needed a wife with the biological ability to conceive and bear children. Scientists might weigh in here with the well-established fact that each human person has 23 pairs of chromosomes. The 23rd pairing determines the sex, that is, the XY factor in determining male versus female. XX is for girl, and XY is for boy. This is a fixed law of creation, built in by God as creator. He not only made one set of humans, he established an unchangeable, perpetual law of procreation by requiring 46 chromosomes, which cannot be provided by female unions alone, nor male unions alone. There was no other way for human life to procreate in order to fulfill its God-given mandate 
to multiply and replenish the earth. And that law of pairing chromosomes across genders applies to every generation. This model has been followed consistently throughout the ages. Yes, there have been perversions and horrible abuses of it, but nevertheless the model of one man and one woman in marriage union continues throughout the world, from nation to nation and culture to culture. It is the model that is fought against, rebelled against, and mocked by many, but only because it is the model. Everything else is an experiment and is doomed to feel as a solid building block to any society. The Lord Jesus countenanced marriage between one man and one woman when he attended a wedding at Cana of Galilee and spoke of the permanence of marriage in underscoring the issue of divorce which was abused in his generation. The Apostle Paul built on the model of marriage between one man and one woman, as in creation of Adam and Eve, when he expounded on marriage in Ephesians chapter 5. And he talks about, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This creation model laid the foundation for marriage unions between one man and one woman. But then there is another model to focus upon, a model that lifts this to an even higher order. The Apostle Paul alluded to it in this passage in Ephesians 5. It is the model of Christ and the church. Christ is the husband as Redeemer, Savior, and the body of believers is the bride, the Lamb's wife, bought by the blood of Christ. There is but one Savior and one church. In his infinite wisdom, God has modeled marriage between one man and one woman on the redemption plan of Christ as Savior of his church, even giving his life for her. The apostle went on to show that a husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. That means sacrificial and pure love. The Bible is also very clear that every other sexual union outside of marriage between one man and one woman brings down the wrath of God. Adulterers and fornicators God will judge. Marriage is honorable and the bed undefiled. Marriage between man and woman has God's blessing. It is God's plan in creation, procreation, raising of godly children. Marriage and the establishment of family is the building block of society. Marriage and the family is the first institution God ordained. Without it, humanity is doomed to misery, corruption, and the wrath of God. Bible passages to read on this is Genesis 1-3, Romans chapter 1, 1 Corinthians 7, and Ephesians chapter 5. Let us then rejoice in God's gift of marriage and pray to live up to the one model that God is pleased to bless. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca 
CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Mm-hmm.